welcome to episode five of the new podcast series from Understanding Society, the academic study that captures life in the UK in the 21st century. Understanding Society is a longitudinal survey. Every year we question every member of thousands of the same households across the UK about key areas of their life. In each episode of this series, we're exploring how our data has been used in a key area. We're looking at what it's told us when analysed and what it's informed as a result. I'm Catherine MacDonald, your series host. In this episode, we're focusing on relationships between couples and within families. My first guest is Professor Brianna Pirelli-Harris, our topic champion for families. My second is Dee Holmes, Senior Practice Consultant at Relate, the UK's largest provider of relationship support. Brianna began by explaining what her research focuses on. I'm interested in families and how families have been changing very rapidly over the past couple of decades. I started off by studying fertility and changes in people's childbearing behavior. But about 15 years ago, I started studying changes in marriage and how people are living together in cohabiting partnerships without getting married. And I've been particularly interested in how this is changed across countries, and some countries are adapting this new behavior and others are lagging behind. What do you feel are the main talking points or research questions in your field right now? We don't know if marriage is going to disappear or if people are just postponing marriage. Uh, Many partnerships are, are taking longer to start. People are living in cohabiting partnerships for longer. They're having children within cohabitation. And we don't know if they're going to get married or or who gets married and who stays married over time. Um, And then also, what are the consequences for these changes in partnership? Because uh, we know that partnerships which are more unstable often have worse outcomes for people's health, their well-being, uh, and also for children. So as cohabiting partnerships are often more unstable, we're interested in what are the consequences on society in general. I think that marriage is becoming in some ways more elite. One of my recent studies shows that people who have high relationship quality are more likely to get married. So I don't think it's going to disappear anymore. I think it's good, but its meaning is going to change. Its symbolic importance has shifted from being something that everybody does to something that some people do in order to demonstrate their commitment. But a lot of people also don't get married and they're equally committed. So there's just a lot of heterogeneity. And I think that's one of the reasons why I find it so fascinating. So why do you think it is that the the meaning of marriage is changing? I think that women's equality and roles, the employment of women has changed the bargaining power within marriages. And as a result, uh, there's much more equality within marriages and it's shifted in meaning. And now rather than it being a necessity, people no longer have to get married and instead it's a choice. So they are deciding whether or not this is something for them and they want to celebrate in many cases. And so that's why they get married. So it's about shifting norms as a result of other labor and social changes that have happened within the society. You've used understanding society data extensively in your research, and that's both the main study and our COVID-19 survey. What has it enabled you to do The Understanding Society Survey is a longitudinal study that allows us to trace people over time. 
one of our recent studies looks at people when they're in cohabiting partnerships and evaluates who is more likely to get married or have a birth within a cohabiting partnership. And we've found that people with higher levels of relationship quality are more likely to get married than have a birth within the cohabiting partnership. Uh, so this shows that relationship quality is really important and that uh, happier people are more likely to get married. And while this might be in some ways obvious for some people, at the same time, childbearing within gravitation has really increased over time and understanding society shows us this. So that's been really an advantage of the longitudinal aspect of the understanding society. So what was happening in relationships before COVID? What trends were you noticing pre-COVID? Before the pandemic hit, we were finding that in many societies, it was the most highly educated, economically stable couples that transitioned into marriage, had children within marriage, and were more likely to stay together. And those people who were more disadvantaged were more likely to have children within cohabiting partnerships, and they were more likely to have unstable positions. One study that we did with Understanding Society found that unemployment was associated with a decline in relationship quality. So people would lose their jobs and they would then report that they had um, more troubles with their partners. And this actually led to scarring. Uh, people who lost their jobs and were re-employed then had worse relationship quality for a longer period of time. Uh, we also found that there were differences between men and women. And women whose partners lost their jobs were less happy with their relationship than men whose wives lost their jobs. Uh, so that really shows that the breadwinner model still exists and that there's this um, expectation that men are going to be employed and that has an impact on people's relationships. So what did the pandemic and particularly the lockdowns do to relationships? Most people expected that relationships would become strained and that relationship quality would decline as a result of living in close proximity for a long period of time during lockdown and also because of the economic uncertainty that people were facing as their jobs became uh, just more unstable. So we analyzed Understanding Society COVID survey, and we found that actually a lot of people said that their relationships had improved. About 20% of our respondents found that relationships had improved over this period, which is quite surprising. Only 8% reported a decline in relationship quality. And on top of that, what we found was that, not surprisingly, those people who were more highly educated and who had higher incomes were more likely to report a an improvement in their relationships. So we, we expected that because we know from previous studies that unemployment and economic uncertainty is really bad for relationships. But what we didn't expect, and the really unusual finding, was that those people who were furloughed reported a rise or an improvement in their relationships. And we think about this in, in several different ways. One is that the furlough period uh, buffered against this economic uncertainty and reduced a lot of the stress that people felt, um, the stress of losing their job, but also uh, gave people a, a stayed vacation uh, at home. They, they knew that they were secure with their income and it gave them some time to spend together with their partner. So I think that this is one of the more interesting findings that's come out of our COVID-19 research. And was there a difference between couples who were at home with small children in comparison to couples who weren't? 
Yes, those who had children under the age of five were more likely to report a decline in their relationship quality. One of the strongest effects was those people who reported that their division of housework was unequal or unfair. Uh, That was really bad for relationships. Um, But we couldn't really tell to what extent remote working or home working was uh, associated with poor relationship quality or a few more details about whether or not those people who are furloughed and had children, it didn't seem to differ by that interaction effect. Were there any other differences according to gender or age with the couples that were surveyed? We found no differences by gender and even the unfair division of housework didn't differ by gender. Men and women who uh, reported that their housework was unfair were equally likely to report that their relationships became worse. In terms of age, very few differences by age. I think that the only other difference with respect to children was that couples who had older children living in the household, teenagers over the age of 17 or young adults, they also reported that their relationship quality became worse. So as we emerge from the initial clutches of the pandemic, what does the evidence suggest is going to happen to relationships moving forward? Well, I think that economic uncertainty is still going to continue. People are going to be concerned about losing their jobs. Uh, Some people will not be able to return to jobs, and that's going to strain relationships. What I'm particularly concerned about is that there will be more financial pressures on couples in the future. All of this economic strain and unemployment and and just fear of what's going to happen in the future is detrimental to relationship quality and could end up in an increase in breakups um, and partnership dissolutions. And also just thinking about children in the future and how they might be affected by this economic uncertainty. And what do you think about marriage within all that? So we began by talking about how the meaning of marriage has changed and that it's not as necessary as it used to be. What effect do you think the economic uncertainty might have on the marriage rate? Several different impacts. One is that, of course, people are going to be uh, strained in their own relationships and maybe less likely to commit, but they also might think that they want to postpone their wedding, that they have other priorities. You know, weddings are obviously very expensive and they might need to focus instead on uh, having children, housing. We see that often in uh, low-income societies that weddings are just no longer a priority. Other uh, essential life things are, are much more important. So I think that marriage, marriage rates will go down even further. Um, and, and again, it'll be more stratified with those people who have more stable positions, more likely to marry and have a wedding. And what do you think will happen to the divorce rate? I think that there is probably a pent up demand for divorce because people didn't feel like they could successfully move away from each other. Uh, But the economic uncertainty is probably also going to impact people's stability of their partnerships. And so I expect that we'll see a slight uptick in divorce, too, as people finally are able to move apart and officially divorce. And how long do you think the effects of the pandemic will last? 
I think that's a really great question. We just don't know if people's behaviors have been permanently changed as a result of the pandemic, especially young people who haven't had the same opportunities to meet over the last couple of years. They might be a little bit reluctant to start dating and committing uh, to long-term partnerships. I mean, it's, it's going to vary. Some people are very happy to embrace pub life and go out to bars and nightlife and so on and so forth. Um, but other people might still be quite wary, especially because the pandemic is not completely eradicated. So I, I think there will be a postponement of the of relationship formation for these younger cohorts, um, and possibly that will then lead to more postponement of marriage and childbearing. So as a researcher, what are the, the burning questions you want to answer in the years to come? What areas do you want to focus on? Well, I want to find out what's going to happen to marriage, of course, and uh, cohabitation, see whether or not people are converting their relationships into marriage or if they're postponing moving in together altogether. All uh, demographers are really interested in fertility rates as well. We expect there will be a, a short-term decline in fertility, but it might turn into a long-term decline. In the UK, uh, fertility rates have been declining for several years now. And we think that probably this pandemic is going to exacerbate that and people will just be having fewer children. So from a policy perspective, what do policymakers need to be aware of? I think they need, they need to be aware of how economic uncertainty and strain leads to declines in relationship quality. And as much of the economy recovers, some people might be left behind. Um, I'm concerned that this cut to universal credit is going to make people's lives more difficult. And that is going to put a lot of strain on how couples relate. And this furlough policy protected not only jobs, but also couples. So if these measures are eliminated before people really have time to, to get back on their feet, then it could have really detrimental effects on families. And what is the ultimate effect there then? If we suffer a huge detrimental effect as a society on our families, what will happen? There's been a lot of studies that show that poor relationship quality of parents affects children and their own relationships with their parents, the relationships with their peers, and their ability to be thriving members of society. So it will have long-term effects, not just the fact of the pandemic itself, but also the associated job loss and financial uncertainty that will continue. And I think that the government could do, should do the most it can in order to buffer those economic impacts. Dee Holmes has been working with couples through the relationship support charity Relate for 25 years. I began by asking her for her initial reaction to the points Brianna had made. It was really interesting listening to her sort of observations. And I, I thought that I agreed with a lot of them, you know, and the change over the years in what, we, what we've seen in the counselling room. But it did really make me reflect that probably in my work at Relate, and I think our general ethos would be that we, we often don't really differentiate between whether people are married or cohabiting. For us, we're there to meet our clients who are coming to us with relationship difficulties and what the sort of official stamp of that relationship is doesn't necessarily always come into it. We're just dealing with people who come with relationship issues. 
That's really interesting. So it, what's coming to my mind there is it's like, you know, you're almost coming at it as a kind of A&E department. You need to fix what, you know, do everything you can to fix what's in front of you and potentially don't get the time to to reflect as to why they might have got there if it's not pertinent right at that moment. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, sometimes, obviously, I think whether people are married or cohabiting can be an, an, an issue at the forefront, because certainly if you've got a couple where they're cohabiting and that isn't something that both of them are happy with, one of them wants to be married, then that would obviously be maybe a presenting problem they might come to us with, that they feel the other person isn't wanting to commit. Um, So I think that whether you're married or not issue comes up if you're perhaps not both in agreement on it, or you haven't got the same reasons why you've chosen the state that you have chosen to be in, in that relationship, if that makes sense. It does. So if we sort of go back to a pre-COVID world, were there identifiable trends going on in relationships pre-COVID? I think, you know, as you said earlier about us being sort of the A&E department, I think that's the difference for us compared to Brianna and her talking about the research, is that we are on the whole, you know, dealing with couples who come to us when there is a problem in their relationship. And I think that those problems have probably always been the same when you drill it down, that couples' problems come because of how they communicate. And, you know, there are other issues that come in, but if you can't communicate about the problems that are around, then that's when you sort of hit an issue. So the problems people present with are one thing, and that might be that an affair has happened or someone has lost their job or there's a lot of stress in the family or a life stage change, dealing with teenage children, all the things that are a normal part of life as it goes along, you know, are going to come for us all at, at different times. But it's it's how we recognise that there's a problem and how we then communicate that. And of course, the obvious thing is that people make a lot of assumptions in relationships. And if you don't communicate those assumptions you're making, you've got a problem, really. So if we move on now to talk about what Relate has seen during the lockdowns, which obviously a lot of Brianna's research focused on. So according to her research, relationships suffered when there were children under five, when the division of housework was deemed unfair, and when there were children over 17 in the house, which I thought was really interesting. Does that correlate with what you've seen on the ground? I think that it it probably does in a way. Um, In the first lockdown, we saw quite a lot of people coming to us with um, sexual problems. So our psychosexual service, our PST service, as we call it, was was, um, in demand. In the second sort of lockdown, we saw a lot more family cases coming to us. And I think that ties in with what um, Brianna was saying about the under fives and the over 17s in the household. I think some of the family issues were around the difficulty people had in handling that whole stress of, you know, children in lockdown and how they coped with that and how they suddenly those divisions of how people were dealing with things and their parenting came under sharp focus. I think probably I would say that the over 17s bit, I think that it was quite difficult in families with older children where there were quite different views about how to obey the rules of the lockdown. And that certainly was something we saw across all of the the things. So 
you know, you would have that thing of, well, one parent might think it's okay for their teenager to go out and meet their girlfriend, whereas the other parent was saying, no, that that isn't okay. That's that's not obeying the lockdown. So a lot of disagreements over interpretations of how to handle that difficult time for us all came up in family work. And that wider point about people viewing rules in different ways must have also created difficulties just within couples because everybody saw everything slightly differently didn't they it it did I think and I think that it was a very stressful time for people a very anxiety provoking time and we know that people deal with stress and anxiety in different ways and I think that you know going back to the point about communication being a, a key to everything I think that it was a new thing for people to learn to communicate about you know, it was something different, something we'd never come across before. And diff- people handled it differently. And so in a couple, you would get maybe someone who was, OK, I'll just get my head down and get on with this. This is how it is. And somebody else who might really catastrophize about it and be thinking, oh, my goodness, this is the end of life. as I know it. It will never be the same again. I can't deal with this. And so those two people in that relationship would find it quite hard to sort of meet in the middle and support each other. I think that was the thing. I think a really interesting about COVID was when we deal with stress and difficult times in our relationships normally, there's usually one person who might be a bit stronger than the other or one person who isn't dealing with it or people outside who aren't. COVID hit us all. We were all dealing with it. And so it was quite difficult to support other people when you were dealing with your own stuff around it. Absolutely. That absolutely resonates. You know, I think anybody listening to that will have experienced a level of that within their own relationships. So moving back to Brianna's research, obviously she noticed that the furlough scheme actually protected couples, uh, protected them from the sort of horrors of economic uncertainty. Did you see that happening? I think, yes, I think the furlough scheme was, you know, important in in taking the pressure off for some people. and And it did allow some families and couples to, you know, have both of them at home. So therefore, it was easier to deal with the issues like homeschooling or having to look after your children full time because there was no childcare available. So it gave people a chance to sort of pause, really, I think, um, and, you know, have some have some space to sort of to deal with it, with everything. Um, So I think that was probably quite important. Obviously, it did, you know, it did mean people had a level of financial security, but depending on what your earnings and your commitments were, you know, for some people, it was quite a loss of income, even, you know, even though they still had some assured income, it wasn't the income they'd had before. Um, so I think there was still anxiety around for people around their, their money and their commitments. And so for key workers, many people still obviously had to go out and couldn't benefit from that time at home. Did you see any of that? We did see a lot of, of strain, I think, for people. Um, we at one point, we um, we operated a service that was um, funded by um, some sort of government money through the lottery, um, which was offering um, live chat service for people, which was a sort of 30 minute intervention that was done, as, as it says, live chat. Um, so it made it much easier, more accessible for people. And we did see through that a lot of people who were, you know, suffering with that time apart and we also did some work um, with the NHS aimed just for their for some of their staff 
um, for that reason that it was recognised that people were living away from their families, um, you know, spending a lot of time under pressure. So there was some funding put in place for relationships, you know, for people in the NHS. And that was quite a popular service. People were accessing that to talk about those problems that were coming up for them. So I'd like to move on now to talk about the points that Brianna's research made about marriage. What do you say to the to the point that the meaning of marriage and its symbolic importance has changed and that it might be becoming more and more elite? Yes, that was that was quite interesting, really. Um, I th- I think it's it it is difficult to say from our perspective at Relate because, as I say, we we see people when they come with a problem in their relationship. I think that it's an interesting thing that there will always be and always have been people who definitely see marriage as something that is part of the tick box of life you know that is a stage and some people certainly who become very caught up in marriage and the big wedding and and will carry on and go through with that even if actually they're not in the right relationship just because they've reached that stage where they think this is the next thing that should happen and equally I think there are people who choose not to get married because they feel their relationship is is okay and why why do it you know why spend the money on it when they'd really rather put that money into a house or you know holidays or whatever I think that the point she made about marriage changing because of being more equality and less necessity and more choice is probably an important one. I think we've probably seen people on the whole getting married later. A lot of people will live together for quite a long time and then get married, maybe at the time when they're choosing to have children. But I think that that is probably changing. So would it worry you if, in fact, marriage was on the way out? I think it's a really interesting thing is the question of marriage, isn't it? And what it means to people. And I think that's for me when it comes up in the counselling room. If you see a couple who are cohabiting and have done for years and years and they almost sort of, you know, they've almost feel like they're married, you know, for them, they don't see any difference and they're both happy with that then that's absolutely fine. I think the problem comes when you have a couple where one of them sees marriage as an important thing to do and that might be because of of, um, you know of their belief system or it might just be you know something that they feel is expected in their family um, or they want the big wedding or whatever and the other person doesn't then that becomes a problem because I think it becomes very sort of heated then about what does marriage mean to you and, and why will you do it why won't you because the question about why get married you could put the other way couldn't you you could say why not get married you know, I mean, it's it can be and couples will do that. You know, the one who wants to get married will be saying to the one, well, why won't you just get married to me? And the other one saying, well, why can't you just accept that living together is, is good enough? You know, I'm committed to you. We've got children together. We own a house together. So I think it's what does marriage symbolize for people? And I think for some people, having a child together is a more important commitment. And for others, marriage is the ultimate commitment. So I think it's it's quite an interesting question about what will happen if it if it becomes less significant. Obviously, Brianna made the point that it might be obvious that the higher the quality of a relationship, the more likely it is to result in marriage. But that that is an important point. And what are your thoughts on that? I'm just thinking about my experience in the counselling room and thinking that I don't think there was much difference. You know, I would see couples who 
who had been living together for years and years, who didn't seem any different to the married couple and were presenting with very similar problems. I think I think there is the fact that maybe when you're married, it's hard, you know, there is a legal implication of splitting up. And so it's harder to take that step. Whereas if you're cohabiting, you know, it's it's a bit simpler sometimes. But if you've got children together, which which, you know, if we're talking about cohabiting couples who've who've got a family, then you know, the ending of that relationship is is just as difficult. I think the children thing is what makes it the most difficult about ending a relationship. Do you see economic uncertainty adversely affecting relationships in the counseling room? And if so, you must be expecting a rise in relationships under strain. Yeah, I think that that's a real problem. And I think that's something, you know, that we all need to be aware of the effect of economic strain on relationships. And, you know, that's where sort of early help is important, really. And because, you know, if we don't sort of invest in that as as a society, um, you know, we don't give help to people at those early stages. I mean, we we know, don't we, that if a couple separate, then, you know, there are financial implications for them and for their children. Um, You know, we need more housing for that to to work, etc. So, I think it I think it is something that we're going to see. Uh, another thing that I know in the past, you know, and having gone through economic cycles in society in my counseling career, that we also find that when there is a lot of, you know, people are in debt or finances are difficult, um, it also can stop people separating because they can't actually afford to separate. They can't afford to split up. They can't afford for one person to move out and rent somewhere else or to sell the house. And that sort of keeps people stuck. And that can be quite a problem as well, because they're stuck, just not just the couple, but maybe the whole family in an unhappy relationship, because financially they can't get out of it. So what would you like policymakers to hear and take away from both what you've said and Brianna's research? I think that we really need investment in support services such as counselling and certainly support services, you know, for couples and for families to to try and, you know, give that early help and support so that they don't sort of go on down the line to be separating and and splitting up if, if that's, you know, something that can be avoided. I mean, obviously, all you know, not all relationships, I'm not saying we should keep everybody together, but, you know, some things, you know, can be helped with early intervention. And if people are going to separate, again, intervention into that being done in the best possible way for the best outcomes for children is is important. I think one of the things that, you know, COVID has sort of you know created lots of diversions for us as society and for the government, we know. But obviously the relationships and sex education curriculum that was, you know, sort of has really slowed down. Um, and that's something that at Relate we're really, um, you know, keen to be involved in and moving forward because we think we need to be focusing on the next generation. You know, we they they're suffering and they have suffered through all the COVID, and we need to make sure that they're given some help and support in having healthy relationships going forward. You can read more about Brianna's research via the publication section of the Understanding Society website. My thanks to Brianna and Dee for contributing to this discussion and to you for listening. Join us for episode six, where we'll be looking at how the COVID-related school closures have affected our children.